Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, as Sunday after Easter, we're getting ready to launch into a new sermon series, a series that is going to take us through the Sermon on the Mount. And over the next 11 Sundays, we're going to be, or 11 Sundays over the next three months, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And that is this, this message that Jesus gave to his followers and to the multitudes uh, very early on in his ministry that helped lay out the direction of what he was calling people to and what he was offering them. And this, this long single message that is included here is a, is a treasure for followers of Christ, and we're going to be looking at it in 11 messages together. Now, when I tell you that we're going to spend 11 messages looking at the Sermon on the Mount, um, there are two different reactions that may be happening in the room right now. Um, One of those reactions is going something like this, 11 messages, are you kidding me? Don't you know that John Piper preached 179 messages on the Sermon on the Mount? What are you, some lightweight that you're only going to do 11 messages out of the Sermon on the Mount? And others of you are hearing this and you're thinking, 11 messages? Dude, Jesus gave it in one. <laughs> so I don't know where you, where you fit on that continuum, um, but know that we're going to spend 11 uh, messages looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And... Um, I pray and hope that God blesses us through this message as we look at it and challenges us and encourages us as his followers as we gather around. Jesus went up on a hillside and he called together to himself his followers and he taught them something. And by God's grace, that message is extended all the way to us today so that we can receive it. And so before we read the introduction to this message today, I want us just to, just to imagine that we're there for a moment. It says that that Jesus, who had been working miracles in the midst of the followers, there have been people who had been sick that he had healed. There were people who were demon-possessed. He had cast out those demons. He had developed a following because of the way he had been treating people. But up until this time, the, the Scripture only gives us this summary message of what Jesus was saying. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what the Scriptures tell us he was saying up to this point. But when we get to... Matthew chapter 5, we get an explanation, a longer form message of what Jesus might have been saying. And so Jesus, who had been healing people and had been casting out demons, says he goes up on a hillside. He, he creates kind of a natural amphitheater because the multitudes have gathered and their number is so great and we're one of them and we gather around him. And Jesus, it says, walks up on that hillside and it says he sat down. Now, That's kind of interesting for us because most of the time in our culture, in our environment, when somebody stands up to to preach, they stand, right? But it says Jesus went up and he sat down on the mountainside. Now, that was for a, a cultural reason. See, in the first century, rabbis, things they said while they were standing were considered somewhat informal. But when a rabbi sat down, they were getting ready to speak with some authority, And so Jesus goes up on the hillside and he he sits down and his followers gather around him. And it says, opening his mouth, he began to speak. Jesus was getting ready to, to share with them wisdom and perspective from an authoritative place. Don't you want to know what he said? We all should want to know what Jesus said in that message. 
That's why I encourage you not just to wait till we get together on Sundays to read it, but these three chapters over the next few months, just spend some time every week. Read it front to back, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount together. Today, we're going to look at the introduction to that message that Jesus gave, and that introduction is found in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read these verses for us, and then we'll back up and see a little more about what God would have us to do in response to them. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. This is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In these 10 verses, we have the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, as we look at it, I want us to see a few things that will help us to understand Jesus' message more and how we might respond to it. The first thing I want us to look at and see is this. Jesus talks of making people happy. Jesus talks of making people happy. Now, when I say that, and this is a relatively biblically literate group of people. You all have spent time reading the Bible. You've been around church, many of you. Some of you, this might be your first or second Sunday, but many of you have been around church for a while. You hear that and go, oh, come on. It's not happiness, it's joy, God is not concerned with our happiness, he's concerned with our joy. And we, we kind of raise an eyebrow of our soul that I would even utter the word happy inside of a message. And yet when Jesus stands up to deliver the Sermon on the Mount in his introduction, what is the very first word that he says? What is it? Blessed. Now what does that word mean? That word means happy. And not just any kind of happiness, an uber happiness that comes from God. A God-given uber happiness. That's what Jesus said. The very first word of the Sermon on the Mount that we get is the God-given uber happiness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, when Jesus says that, I think that his crowd leaned in even more. I think they were really excited that Jesus was going to say this because think about this. The people of the first century were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. They were looking for someone who was going to make their lives better. They were looking for someone who would make them, dare I say, happy. They wanted someone who would come in and who would overthrow the Romans and kick them out of Palestine so that Israel might be great. They wanted somebody who was going to expand their borders. They wanted somebody who was going to put two chickens in every pot and two cars in every garage. They wanted somebody that was going to make their lives better. They wanted someone who was going to make them happy. Sure, there were spiritual blessings that they would have attributed also to Messiah, things about reconciling them to God, but that was only part of the package for them. They wanted someone who was going to make them happy. 
And so Jesus stands up, and as a good preacher, he begins with where they are before he takes them to where they need to go. And he says, there's a God-given uber happiness available, and everybody leans in. That's where Jesus begins. And you know what? If we're honest, we're a group of people who gather here today who want to be happy. We want to be happy. I have a friend that has that, uh, done some research and counseling, and he talks about how even infants are addicted to smiles. They love to see smiles. They love happiness. Uh, we want our lives to work. We want them to be smooth. We want blessing in our lives. And, and honestly, we, we come to God many times. Our felt need is, God, would you bless us? God, would you make us happy? Would you make the rough places smooth in our lives? I mean, if I were to, to ask, how many of you want your life to be happy or blessed? You don't have to raise your hand, but on the inside of your heart, just, just you know, because I know that some of you, the joy, happy thing, there's a conflict in your soul, but just honestly, where you sit, how many of you on the interior of your life are kind of raising a little hand saying, yes, Lord, I want to be happy. I want to be blessed. I want that uber kind of happiness. Jesus begins and he talks about making people happy. And everybody leans in, including us. But what does Jesus say about this? What does he say about this, this happiness? Well, he goes on and he defines it. And so the question is, who does Jesus say has a happy life? Who, who is it that is the happy one? We look to Jesus now to define it. He says blessed, but he doesn't just say blessed. He doesn't just say happy, but he says happy are some specific people. And so we would be wise to look at the author of life to find out where true happiness is found. And Jesus begins to describe the blessed life now. What does it look like to have a happy life in, in this moment? What's it look like? Jesus begins to describe it. Now, Dare I say, as Jesus begins to describe it, he describes it differently than you and I might imagine. Let me just ask you for a moment, just to imagine in your head, what does a blessed life look like? What does it look like? You know, as you go around the room, some of you are thinking possessions. A blessed life not only has a place where you live here, but it has a lake house and maybe a condo in the mountains. What does a blessed life look like? Maybe it's not possessions, but it's vocation. It's having the dream job or having a job if you're looking for a job right now. Having some sense of direction and provision and, and feeling of worth as you go about your day because of the job that you have. Maybe it's neither of those things for you. Maybe it is relational. And blessing for you looks like a number of children or a spouse or a different spouse or different children, whatever it looks like for you, right? There, there are thoughts that you think of in your head where you want improvement. I don't mean a different person. I mean improvement in that person, right? When you think about blessing, we think of it in these different terms, relationally, with possessions, vocationally, and your list could go on and on. But when Jesus opens his mouth and he begins to describe what the blessed life now looks like, how does he describe it? Well, the very first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we might assume in the world in which we live that he might have said, blessed are the proud. 
Blessed are those who, who work hard. Blessed are those who have something to offer to God. But instead, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is a fascinating thing because when Jesus says that, there are two options for the word poor that he could have used. One of the words for poor that he could have used is the word that, that means you don't have much. You have a little, but you don't have much. Uh, the, the widow who gives in this, the, the gospel account where the widow gives and she gives two mites, two little coins that go in the, the barrel and she's obviously somebody of poverty. She is the one who, who doesn't have a lot, she has a little and she gave from what she had. Jesus could have said, blessed are those who are somewhat poor. Blessed are those who don't have very much. But that's not the word that Jesus uses. The word that Jesus uses is blessed are the poor. And it's the word he used for poor there is the word for totally destitute. The person who has absolutely nothing. The blind beggar by the road who can only beg, cannot work, has no resources or means to get them. Jesus said blessed is the destitute. But it's not just the one who has no physical possessions. But he says blessed is the destitute of spirit. Blessed is the one who understands that in and of themselves they have nothing to offer to God. That God is not receiving them, accepting them, or blessing them on the basis of their performance, but only on the basis of his grace. Blessed is the one who is poor in spirit. Jesus says that. It's different than we thought. Our world would say, blessed are the proud. Blessed are the productive. Jesus said, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Second thing, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the sorrowful. Now, this is not just any kind of sorrow, but in context, I believe he's talking about sorrow over our sin. Mourning because we are sinners. Sad because we have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Upset by how our lives are a mess because we have been unable to follow God the way that he has called us to. There is a, a sadness or a mourning that Jesus says. And, and Jesus says, blessed or happy are those who are sorrowful. And we might have anticipated, our world might have anticipated him saying, blessed are those that ignore sin. That's what our world would say. You know what, you'd be a lot happier if you just didn't even think about all the things that in your life that are really sin. Just forget about sin. Don't think about it. Just blow it off. It's not that big a deal. Rewrite some scripture so that it, it makes actions that you're doing Okay reinterpret it, find somebody who can make you feel better by just kind of ignoring sin in our lives. See, that's what our world would say, happy are those who ignore sin. But no, Jesus says, happy or blessed are those who are sorrowful over our sin. It's the next one. He says, happy or, or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are the meek. Well, what does that word meek mean? The word meek means Someone who has been broken, someone who is a follower, not someone who is independent. It was a word that was used, meekness was used of a horse that was broken. It's power that is controlled by another. You see, we live in a world that, that would tell us that, that happiness is marching to your own beat, doing your own thing, making your own way, answering to no one. Jesus says happiness is not found there. Happiness is found in the one who is bridled, the one who follows the Lord. Happy are the followers. Jesus continues, happy are those who pursue righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, we, we did this when we thought about what the blessed life looks like. We might think of the blessed life as the pursuit of possessions, but 
That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that happiness or blessing comes not in the pursuit of possessions, but in the pursuit of righteousness. In our pursuit of righteousness, there we find blessing, there we find happiness. And it's not just any kind of righteousness, it is the righteousness in the original text, talking about the greatness of God and his, and his standard. Our, our pursuit of that, that's where happiness and blessing is found. It's found in righteousness, pursuit of that. He continues, blessed are the merciful, not those who are, are hard. Again, you know, we live in a world that would minimize mercy, would say that mercy is a sign of weakness, that really what we need are people who demand their own way and only their way. That's the ones that look blessed, that look like they have the power and the control. But Jesus says that there's blessing in being merciful, not just those who are hard. We see that down in verse 7. He continues in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, the pure in heart. Now, we might think about the, the blessed are those who look like they have it all together, the ones who on the outside of their lives look religious. Not only do they have a Bible, but they have a, a nice Bible carrier that they bring it in. And not only do they have a Bible and a nice carrier, but they have verses that are highlighted, and they, they know the answer to, those th- of, to questions and trivia. Now, all of those things are good, right? It's good to have a Bible that we carry with us and that we value and that we read and that we mark up, but Jesus is not concerned with us convincing those around us how godly we are. The one who is blessed is not the one who has a tribe of people who, who would, would say of our lives that, that we have it all together, but the one that Jesus says is blessed is the one who really has a pure heart, one who is genuinely following Christ, not just from the outside, but from the inside out. He continues, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the winners. In our world would say, who's blessed? Blessed are the winners. Blessed are those who get their way. Jesus says, no, blessed are the peacemakers instead. He continues on in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are the persecuted, not those that are problemless, not those that are problem-free. I mean, that's, again, what we would expect, right? The blessed life is not a persecuted life. The blessed life, the happy life, would be a life without problems. And yet, Jesus says that the, the happy life includes persecution. Again, just take a moment and look at that list. Is, is that list, how does it compare to your list when we think about blessing? Now, here's the thing. When we see that, I want to just ask you, what in the world was Jesus saying? And what was he doing? Because where are the things on our list? And why is it that Jesus includes these things up there? and says that the happy life, the blessed life, includes these things. You see, our, our happiness, our happiness, we would define in one term, Jesus says that, that happy or blessed life looks a little different now. The blessed life now, what does it look like? Jesus says it looks like that. Now here's, before we get into why he would say that or why it would be true, I wanna just, just reflect on this for a moment. If this is the, the, the blessed life or the happy life now, it means that our happiness is not circumstantial. See, most of the things on our list are circumstances. The things on Jesus' list can be true in any circumstance. 
even in difficult circumstance. It's possible to be blessed and happy, have that as the banner over our lives, even if our circumstances are jacked up. That's what we see when we hear Jesus opening to the Sermon on the Mount. But in what sense is it true? In what sense is it true that this blessing or happiness could happen in the midst of these kinds of difficulties? Well, that's what we see in our third observation today, and that's this. The happy set their clocks to kingdom standard time. The happy set their clocks to kingdom standard time. Now, we see this in the list of things that are are mentioned there. Jesus talks about blessed are the, blessed are the, but then he gives a reason why they are blessed. Both in the first and the last, the first and the eighth beatitude or blessing that's listed here, he says, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he puts those almost like, like parentheses around this whole conversation. He gives a timestamp to let us know when this blessing can be expected, that these things are possible because of a reality that exists in the kingdom of God. And we know that the kingdom, as we saw Earlier this spring, as we looked at this, the kingdom is that time when Jesus will return and will reign upon the earth, when tears will be dried, when sin will be stopped, where Satan will be bound, where Jesus will be reigning on this earth in righteousness. It's a future time. It was offered at the time of Christ. A pause button was hit because of the rejection of Christ that led to his crucifixion, that provided spiritual forgiveness for us, but there'll be a time when Jesus returns and play is hit again and that kingdom will come to a whole new reality. And and what Jesus is saying is this blessing that is coming is, is coming at kingdom standard time. And guess what? You and I, if we know Christ, where will our lives be spent most? They will be spent in kingdom time. They will not be spent in central standard time 2017. They will be spent in kingdom standard time forever. Because we spend just a few days here, but we will spend forever there. Now, let me just give an illustration to maybe help with this. I don't know if you're like me. Anybody here watched any Thunder basketball recently? Um, I've watched a lot of Thunder basketball. I just confess. I, I said I, I watched a little Thunder basketball at the 8:30 service. My um, 10-year-old son was on the front row. His eyes got huge. He's like little dad. And it was a lot. You've been watching a lot of basketball, um, but I've watched a lot of Thunder basketball. And when you watch Thunder basketball this season, you know what you see? You see uh, the story of Russell Westbrook, who is the MVP. In over 82 games and now three playoff games, he has played phenomenal basketball. He has been the MVP of the league. Um, Now, here's the thing as we think about Russ, though. If you saw any particular game that he played, some games are better than others, right? As a matter of fact, if you went to the 82nd game, the last game of the season, Russell only played like 12 minutes in that game. I mean, MVPs play more than 12 minutes. He only scored like eight points in that game. MVPs score more than eight points. He only got a handful of assists and rebounds. MVPs get more than a handful of assists and rebounds. And if you were to make a determination and a judgment upon Russell Westbrook's season over that one game, you would make the wrong conclusion, wouldn't you? But when you look at it in the whole, we can say the man averaged a triple-double. 
He's been a phenomenal player. He's the MVP. When you look at his season, MVP is what is over the top. When Pete goes to the free throw line this afternoon at 2.30 in the Chesapeake Energy Arena, people are going to, I, I told you, I've watched too much. They're going, to, they're going to be standing to their feet chanting MVP. Why is that an appropriate banner to put over his name? Because the trajectory of his season, the preponderance of the season is MVP. Even if there's a game or two that are outliers. Friends, if we know Christ, we have the promise of the kingdom. And our troubles and struggles and sorrows today are just some outlying games. But the thing that will fit over our lives appropriately identified will be blessing and happiness. That's what God is extending to us. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. Happiness that is found in the kingdom. I want us to look quickly at what Jesus says about these things. We've seen that in summary, he talks about it happening in the kingdom. But let's see specifically what he says. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to flip back to Isaiah chapter 61, just just for a moment, and look at verse 1. Talking about the kingdom reign, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. When we set our clocks to kingdom standard time, we remember the blessing that is coming our way, the freedom and the good news to the poor. Next thing that we see. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the sorrowful because they will be comforted. Again, let's flip back to Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. If Christmas time we sing Handel's Messiah, right? This is one of those passages that is inside of there, but it talks about the comfort that comes with the Messiah, the comfort that comes in the kingdom. Those of us who mourn over sin now, will be comforted later. Think about the things in life that are accusing us and, and challenging us related to sin right now. There's our flesh that has a temptation to sin. There is the world system which is designed to lead us to sin. And there is Satan who is tempting us to sin and his minions. And when we get to the kingdom, you know what happens to those three things? They go away. Satan is bound. Jesus is reigning. And we are given a new body with which to serve Christ free of the flesh. We are comforted in light of what is happening on kingdom standard time. And not only that, but he talks about the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Flip back in the Old Testament again to the book of Psalms, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, talking about the Messiah. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is talking about how Messiah will one day reign in his kingdom. He'll reign upon the earth. And what Jesus is saying is he says, those who allow me to lead them now will lead others later in the kingdom. We will inherit the earth. Followers become leaders in Christ. He continues on, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. If we're pursuing and hungering and thirsting for things, that is a void that can never be full. You think you'll be happy after you get the car? What happens after you get the car? You want a different car. 
You think you'll be happy after you get the house? What happens after you get the house? You think you'll be happy once you get the new job? What happens after you get that job? The reality is our physical possession hungers are never fully satisfied. But in Christ, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will find our hungers satisfied. Look at what it says in Isaiah 61, verses 10 and 11. He says, I will rejoice, greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We'll be adorned with righteousness in the kingdom. We'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's the next thing that he says. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 18 parable that Jesus tells about someone who is forgiven of a little or forgiven of much and is called upon to forgive others for a little. It's part of what marks us as, as followers of Christ is that we are people of mercy, even as we have been shown mercy. He continues on after that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Reminds me of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, also Ezekiel chapter 36, when the description of the new covenant is found. God talks about reigning with his people, writing his law on our hearts, being close. The idea of of seeing the face of God is, is one of having a close and an intimate relationship with him. We see God, we have a close relationship with him. That's part of what the promise is in the kingdom. Not only that, but he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers, not just with those around us, but also peacemakers, even helping make peace between God and man, introducing people to salvation through Christ. There's the opportunity for us to be peacemakers in this world, and and with that comes this blessing of being a son of God. Reminds me of John chapter 1 and verse 12. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We have the opportunity to be connected with him forever as his children. Blessing that comes on kingdom standard time. And then lastly, when he talks about persecution, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I I think about the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and verse 4. And this is what is said about those who are persecuted. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The persecuted are in the kingdom, and they're reigning with Christ. See, friends, if we are to imagine the blessing that that God has offered, and if we were to make a determination on the truthfulness of that blessing based only on today in Central Standard Time, we will make the wrong calculation. But if we look forward to Kingdom Standard Time, where we will spend our eternity, it is an appropriate thing to say that we are those who are happy and blessed because of 
what Jesus will do for us in eternity. The sorrow, the mourning, the struggle today will give way to blessing and happiness forever. Now, we get hints of that blessing now, right? But it will come into full focus in the future. We need to remember to set our clocks to kingdom standard time. So what do we do with all this? I want to make two conclusions, two observations as we end. The first conclusion or observation has to do with our humility. We are called to be humble and to humbly approach God. If you're here today and you're wondering how your life could be characterized by happiness and blessing, it is not found in our performance. We've seen that in what Jesus said. It's found in being poor in spirit, not proud in spirit. Recognizing our poverty, that we have nothing to offer God and being fully dependent upon him for that provision. That's where it begins. It's found in in meekness, being willing to follow, not somebody who's standing out through our independence and impressing God. It's found by being bridled and following him as our Lord. It's found in being sorrowful over our sin, not excusing it, but recognizing it for what it is, sin for which Christ died. And when we approach God on these terms, when we realize our humility and our great need before him, we come to him on our knees and we, we ask him for mercy, we ask him for blessing, we ask him for happiness, and God responds. Jesus died on the cross to take the full penalty of our sins so that we might be blessed and so that we might be a part of his kingdom. If you've never begun a relationship with Christ, it can happen today, not by going out and performing, but by approaching God in humility and asking him to extend his blessing to us. Not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. And the second application that I think we need to look at is that we need to set our clocks to kingdom standard time. Now, here's what I want you to do. There are two things that we do a lot of um, in our lives. One of those things that we do a lot is we look at our watch. Some of you have looked at your watch several times, even during this message. <laughs> is he done yet? Oh, we out of here. We got this going on. We got that going. It's all right. I've, hey, I've, I'm there too, right? I've, I've done these kinds of things. Uh, I've sat through a lot of messages in my day. I know what you're thinking. Um, but here's what I want you to do. As you look at your watch, I want you just to remind yourself, if you're in the midst of a season where you don't feel blessed or happy, where you feel uh, dri- downtrodden and sorrowful and going through difficulty, here's what I want you to do. When you look at your watch, I want you just to remember this is central standard time. But my citizenship and my hope is in kingdom standard time. As you look at your watch, just remember that. You're going to look at your watch more than you're going to look at me, more than you're going to be in this room, more than you're even going to be in conversation probably with a number of people in this room. This is a reminder that God can give us of where our orientation is. And the second thing we can do is, here's the thing. When you think about, when you think about your, your life and your conversation with people, how many of you at some point this week have said, oh my word, I can't believe we're almost through April. You've got to be kidding me. It's almost May. This is crazy. We talk about how fast time is moving. We say those kinds of things often. The next time you say that, just, just have it be a little reminder in your head. That's right. Central standard time, I'm short for that. Kingdom standard time, That's where I'm going to spend my eternity. Friends, we come before God humbly and receive his blessing in light of his kingdom to come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you today, doing so together in this community, seeing your word come alive even as Jesus taught it, that we can remember 
uh, that you desire to bless us because you're a good father, but Father, you, you're blessing for us that blessed life. It looks different now than we might imagine. But you have called us to remember a kingdom that you are preparing for us and you've invited us to participate in. And because of that, Father, we understand the happy and blessed is the banner over our lives. We thank you, Father, and we trust in Jesus today together. And we pray in his name, amen.